I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello everyone. Producer Matt here one final time to say thank you. Thank you to everyone who pledged whatever they could to our Kickstarter campaign. We've been working hard behind the scenes to find an extra wedge of cash from last-minute sponsors, and that's pushed us the final mile to the finish line. We'll reveal who they are soon, but for now, the moment is yours. We're here for another year, and it's down to you. So thank you. The Media Podcast is a PPM production and not affiliated with The Guardian in any way. And now, the show. Hello and welcome to The Media Podcast. I'm Miranda Sawyer. On today's show, should the BBC be allowed to make programmes for other broadcasters? Who won't advertise on Channel 5? And which female journalist has been offered £300,000 to go on Celebrity Big Brother? And no, it's not me. That's all to come on today's Media Podcast from themediapodcast.com. So with me in Soho today are broadcaster and one half of the award-winning Answer Me This podcast, Helen Zaltzman. You could wave or say hi. I'll say hi, because that works better <laughs> as a podcast. It does, really. And uh, Alex Hudson, BBC journalist of all trades, including producer of Question Time, Newsbeat consultant and BBC Click Drone. Yeah, that many things. That many. I shall, I shall wave and say hi. Before we start, I just thought because um, someone who we will reveal later has been offered all this money to appear on Celebrity Big Brother, are there any reality shows that you would appear on. Quite a lot of them I would if they weren't actually filmed. Like Strictly Come Dancing, I'd like to learn to dance, but not in front of people. Yeah, me too. Splash, I'm quite like that as well. I quite like to yeah. do that. I think everyone's got a price, haven't they? You kind of think, ooh, at what point would you start saying yes for £300,000? You'd be like... Okay, so we're putting ourselves out there. Just if anyone's listening, we'll be there. We're the available people for just going out in the first week. Yeah, the cannon fodder. Okay, let's start this week at the BBC. Tony Hall, the DG, has proposed introducing an open market for programme making at the corporation. On July the 10th, he said that the current system, which ensures that half of all BBC shows are made in-house, should end. And in return, the BBC would be able to make programmes for other broadcasters. Proper competition and entrepreneurialism requires a level playing field, he said. Possibly not in this voice. We should have a regulation in the TV supply market only where it's needed so we can let creativity and innovation flourish. This is not a small move because it requires a change to the BBC's Royal Charter. So this open market won't be able to happen until after the Royal Charter is renewed in 2017. And at the same time, of course, the new licence fee will be established. Well, earlier, the media podcast spoke to Broadcast Magazine's deputy editor, Jake Cantor, about the reaction inside and outside the BBC. So I think this is uh, pretty seismic but sensible stuff from the BBC. Uh, The indie sector has been campaigning 
for production quotas to be opened up for some time now and its wish is going to be granted. I think there's lots of unanswered questions, what the shape of BBC in-house might look like, how it will be active in a commercial world and I think this is the starting point of that conversation and the BBC is right to open up the debate now before Charter Renewal next year. As for the mood in BBC in-house, well again it's a bit early But uh, Mark Freeland, uh, the boss of fiction, has said to me that it will be like uh, freeing up the Ferrari from the farmyard. But others have raised concerns about what it might mean for certain departments within in-house who might not be able to thrive and prosper in a commercial environment. Well, I think there's certainly a view uh, from some corners of the industry that there is a lot of waste at BBC in-house, a lot of people sitting around twiddling their thumbs, potentially being complacent about the business that they have already. But I don't think the focus is on that just yet. Uh, That may come when the BBC starts to prepare in-house for a commercial future. And I think that will inevitably raise questions about the structure and working processes uh, at the production division. Danny Cohen, again, has been very clear that uh, this is a starting point of a conversation. He has thrown the focus of this debate very much on consolidation in the indie sector. He hasn't pointed to any specific deals, but there's tacit acknowledgement in what he's been saying that uh, deals including all three media's sale to Discovery and Liberty Global and the potential acquisition of Love Productions by Sky have all contributed to this thinking and, and that's why the BBC has decided to go public with these plans to Day. That was Jake Cantor speaking on Thursday morning to the Media Podcast. Right, Alex, this doesn't sound particularly BBC, does it? The Tony Hall quote sounded rather like James Murdoch to me. It sounds very modern and doesn't sound like the BBC at all, I think I'm with you. And it sounds... But if you think about the programmes that are already made, I work on Question Time, which is already made by Mentor, and there's all the things about Have I Got News For You and all the other ones. Is it that much different? You know, Jake was saying about all of these production staff that are sat there waiting around to do something. I don't think that's as true as he makes it out to be. I don't think there's BBC staff not doing a lot of work. Do you think it will help smaller production companies? I mean, the companies that have been mentioned are actually all quite big and they already have kind of ins on the the BBC. So, you know, Hattrick makes Have I Got News For You and Red makes Last Tango in Halifax or All Three Media. All these things are quite large kind of super indies. Do you think that if we if it's opened out a bit further, then the little indies can sneak in maybe? Oh, hopefully, because if it's going from 50% in-house to 25, it's effectively adding an enormous number of potential commissions to them. So fingers crossed, and also maybe that will shake up the content a bit. But I'm assuming that for the BBC, there are various bonuses. For instance, you know, BBC can't really do anything without getting a kick for it. So if people are saying, oh, BBC shouldn't be making uh, rubbish shows like this, they can be like, well, an indie made it. And also, does it save money? It must save money, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. Well, or, or perhaps uh, I think they want to make money, don't they? That's almost the other way as well. So if they have all these kind of quality programmes, perhaps they can, you know, punt them out to other people. I think that there could be some enormous structural changes in the next five years, and, and this will be relatively minor in comparison to those. You know, the idea that we still take out a Z1 to film will go out and take these ridiculous cameras where you can get as good a shot with an SLR so that that the cost saving structure is these small indies with less overheads can come in and under and start undercutting in a post YouTube age the idea that we're somehow still spending x thousand pounds every every few minutes for a program seems a little bit confusing so I think it opens the door to 
these amazing people who are coming through doing incredible things for very little money. And if we're saying that it's not these massive indies already, the smaller indies have just come and make some stuff, see what works, see what doesn't. Do you think uh, the private sector will be happy about the BBC being able to tout their wares in the so-called open market, (laughs) (laughs) given that they have quite a lot of structure behind them? I think the question of that is, will the licence fee payer be happy with their licence fee money being used to create programmes that is not sitting within the BBC? And then will it make a profit? Will it run at a deficit? Will it take taxpayer money at all? I haven't had much dealings yet with the Indies about the repercussions of this thing yet because it's only been announced this morning. Mm. And the extent to which how many different programmes can be made, BBC productions on Channel 4, is that? I know, yeah, I did I did kind of think, you know, how would it work if the BBC pitched for a massive kind of ITV Saturday night show? That would seem really odd and you just can't imagine that ITV would be that willing to hand it over to them, despite the fact that BBC have got, you know, a, you know, a massive kind of experience in those kind of shows. You, it just seems quite odd, doesn't it? Yeah, I suppose people are saying BBC shouldn't be making The Voice or Hole in the Wall or Total Wipeout or anything. Um, Total I, I, Wipeout? That was the <laughs> other one I was going to say. <laughs> you miss it, don't you? I do. Uh, but it's already uh, really complicated, isn't it, with BBC Worldwide buying programmes and selling programmes and stuff. So there are all sorts of things that the average licence pair has no idea about necessarily or doesn't even know how the machinations are going. The reason that Doctor Who is so shiny and so polished is because it's so sellable. But do you think in the end, then, if we accept this is going to happen, do you think everybody would be happier if the BBC was just commissioning programmes? So it was like Channel 4, it didn't make any, it just said, you know what, you know, all you people who used to make programmes for us, why don't you go out, set up indies and then and then pitch? I don't know that people would be happy because I think they've got it in their minds that things made by the BBC have to be really good and permanent seeming and proper and without that they'll be saying oh everything's gone downhill even if some of the uh, sort of trademark BBC programmes were made equally as well by a different company they might be a bit touchy about it Yes that's true and this is I think quite a tricky question how do you think the announcement will affect licence fee negotiations? Because that to me seems to be what it is underneath really I think David Silito, the media correspondent said that, that it is looking forward to this big charter renewal and in 2017, we, we don't know how much it's going to affect it. The fact that we still pay a TV licence when most of our audience are already online and watching online. The dubious ways that you can avoid paying the licence fee by consuming content online. I think we've already suffered a quarter cut in real terms. And in my view, we're starting to see the content suffer. BBC Three's move online. How does that affect cost saving? And news is continuing battle with costs. You know, if, if you want us to keep reporting in these Fargan areas for not as big an audience as you might expect for us doing BuzzFeed-like content, which happily we don't do yet, <laughs> it's a choice. I think, I think we should still keep making the content we do, and I think BBC should be producing it. The stronger content we produce and the more in-depth content we produce, the more likely we are to be in a stronger position in 2017. I think the BBC could be absolutely cashing in worldwide on their online presence i mean they could be charging quite a bit of money to watch iplayer online abroad and for their podcasts and so on and so i wouldn't be surprised if that takes place well yeah i mean i quite often want to watch something when i'm away and can't and feel slightly frustrated because i would pay but (laughs) but it's kind of you're not allowed to or even actually i would do it after after the week-long time that you're quite often allowed to watch any iplayer i think you know what if he i just i pay a couple of quid and i'll watch it but that changes the mentality of the BBC to saying, is a story worth telling, yes or no, or is a story going to make us money, yes or no? Mm. So particularly coming up from, with a news hat on, we have to be able to still say this story is worth telling regardless of, you know, the audience should want it as well because the, the two work together, but we can't just say 
will it make us money? I Is there an audience? There are quite a lot of programmes that aren't necessarily stories worth telling, but they know we'll get some kind of traction. <laughs> so that, which which <laughs> ones? I, I refuse to say. <laughs> uh, but I think there's that already that dual state uh, happening. And, and also one of the um, things that we always seem to discuss television about this, and we don't really discuss radio, Radio, of course, has uh, contents coming in from independent producers, but actually at a much lower rate than uh, television. It's only 10%. <laughs> I'm going to say something which my producer, Matt, has advised me to say, but a window of creative competition. Walk, apparently, <laughs> is, uh, as it is known in the BBC. Is it? Yes, it's known as Walk. And this is the, <laughs> the, the uh, place within the BBC where one can pitch if, uh, if you're um, outside the BBC. I mean, I imagine that some indies would be jumping for joy given that at the moment they're only allowed 10% on the radio I suppose with radio there's less uh, alteration in the schedule because most stations are the same sort of programme year after year and so there's not that much opportunity to come in and make something else anyway is there like the number of commissions is going to be lower you've got quite a few hours within radio four yes that's one station though Yes, it's the station that everybody pitches to. (laughs) It's once a year, they get all these thousands of pitches. Okay, well, we'll leave it there. Thanks to uh, Jake Cantor. Jake hosts his own podcast with Broadcast Magazine called Talking TV, available on iTunes for all your TV industry needs. Let's flip to Channel 5. Recently, Channel 5 has had much to cheer about, with Richard Desmond taking the smallest of our free-to-air public service broadcasters from a £46 million deficit to a £70 million profit in just four years. He's agreed to sell Channel 5 to Viacom, the American global mass media company, and that's going ahead as long as the European regulator agrees. But before that's even been decided, Viacom appears to be £30 million out of pocket as Omnicom, the American global advertising and marketing company, has decided to pull all of its advertising from Channel 5 until the end of the year and advertise on ITV instead. So that means products such as McDonald's, Vodafone and Apple won't be selling themselves between the snogging and shouting on Big Brother, at least not until 2015. Helen. (laughs) No one from Channel 5 or Omnicom is commenting. So why do you think they would pull out of advertising on Channel 5, given that it it still gets kind of more than 10% of all TV viewing in the UK? I'm assuming that there's some kind of uh, behind-the-scenes machinations with ITV. All I know is I'm that... I'm hoping for some terrible row. Yeah, uh, yeah I've somebody got, I've got says an in... awful thing to somebody else and they're like, right, we hate <laughs> Channel 5, I'm flouncing. All those documentaries about serial killers. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't have an in with uh, Omnicom, but I do think it sounds like um, a Marvel Comics version of a big evil business name, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it's so brilliant. It's yeah. so Orwellian, isn't it? Viacom yeah. and Omnicom. So I can't take this story seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I, did wonder, serious. I did wonder slightly, though, if you were um, an advertising company, whether you might think that there are better mediums now for advertising communities given to, to people that you want to hit given that kind of digital might give you a better engagement with the consumer and you might think that actually telly doesn't really matter so much now but then big brother still is touting this claim of being the biggest commercial show for 16 to 34s which mm. i find quite hard to believe but you know the stats are there this is being watched this is being engaged with and those advertising stings are being watched by people because people are still watching this thing. But I, I think if you're trying to engage any younger audience, of course you move online, of course you stop doing banner adverts, of course you do all of these different things that would make a lot more sense. But then why would they still spend so much money with ITV and different broadcasters and not Channel 5? It's kind of intriguing. It is, I just 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hope there is a kind of row, really. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. I just would like yeah. a small fight, really. It would be quite funny. Do you think if, we, if you were an advertiser also, it might be quite a, a kind of good thing, given that now what will happen is because they've lost all this advertising, presumably the advertising space on their, on their channel is now uh, a lot cheaper. In fact, it's expected to be 15% less than the same time last year. So, you know, you could just get in there. Or maybe it's all a cunning ruse then. <laughs> Yes, perhaps. <laughs> it could be. And the fun, and I also, get, picking up on your point about Omnicom, we have Omnicom, we have Viacom. I mean, you can make jokes about the, the kind of weirdly, you know, all-encompassing, Orwellian nature of these Omnicom. global businesses. <laughs> but the fact is they're big. And so the decisions are big. You know, Opera, which is Omnicom's advertising arm, controls about 14% of the UK TV ad market. And there are other agencies which are even bigger. Group M has 35%. So, I mean, generally, do you think it's a good idea for these media agencies to be so big? Given that, it, I mean, all it takes is one kind of flounce and a, and a telly channel really could go down. Well, when you put it like that, it does seem like a bad idea, Moran. <laughs> You're very influential in your viewpoints. Let's break up Omnicom, shall we? Yeah, cottage industries only. <laughs> Smaller com. <laughs> Teeny tiny com. Partial com. Open up small advertising to small, what we were saying earlier, smaller, smaller independent companies just for very nice, very neat and very niche, very kitsch adverts. You know what it's going to be like, don't you? It's going to be like Pearl and Dean. That's oh. what we want on Channel 5. That's tea, isn't it? That would be so great. We just have a Pearl and Dean section and then your local curry house can come on and advertise... <laughs> To advertise in between Big Brother, I think that would yeah. work really well. Well, like the adverts they have uh, on, on the end of the Twilight Zone episodes. <laughs> yeah. where it's, uh, Sitting down to dinner with your family, even after this terrifying show. <laughs> oh, but then you watch American TV and you see the adverts. Uh, and do we want to go that? Do we want to go that way? Those are my favourite bits. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we've done Channel Five. Do you think we've done Channel Five advertising now? I feel spent. Yeah. I feel we've done it. Okay, so let's do some more news in brief. I'm going to do it in headlines. Clooney attacks Mail. 
George Silver Fox Clooney has broken a long silence about his love life, basically own the Daily Mail, after the paper published a story claiming his fiancée's mother disapproves of their forthcoming marriage. Helen, what's happened? What's the lovely George Clooney said? Uh, well, I think uh, he's he's done rather well with this. So what the less lovely Daily Mail said was that his fiancée, Amal Alamuddin's mother, has been complaining all around Lebanon that uh, she wants her daughter to marry a Druze and why couldn't she have found a hot bachelor that was Druze? And uh, George Clooney wrote an open letter saying... My fiancé's mother isn't even Drews. And I ignore the usual rubbish. You write about people being pregnant or whatever. But this is an issue over which women get killed. So you have to take it seriously and shut up. So they've taken down the story now. And they're saying, oh, we're launching an investigation. It was a freelance journalist. So Actually, specifically, they said the bride <laughs> could yeah. be killed. So it was almost like a kind of like offbeat, um, you know, hoping for a death threat for, for his fiancé, which seems... Uh, Pretty bad, really. Mm. Make a nice Daily Mail story, though. <laughs> yes. Do you think that's possibly what it, they, they were going for? No, come um, on. No, would they? Do you think that there was any other response that they could make, really, the the Daily Mail to this? They could have stood by their guns, but they would have been. I think the legal case would have been very, very expensive if they were going to do that. And you know, all the media law take it down the second anyone makes any complaint quickly before someone sues. That you know, that's it's the logical way of doing it. But except, it, surely they only take it down if it's somebody really important. Mm-hmm. They don't really take it down if it's just if someone can afford to sue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if somebody can take over the, uh, every other media outlet and said actually that was wrong. Yeah, because I've seen so many people who've got reasonable profiles saying I did an interview with the Mail and it came out with about one in two hundred words was the same as what I'd actually said, but they don't really have the clout to do anything about it. Whereas everyone likes George Clooney. And he doesn't often speak out about his private life. Mm-hmm. So for him to do that, uh, they probably thought we'd better hustle. But maybe they're excited. So that George Clooney noticed something we wrote. I <laughs> <laughs> knew they're going to do loads just to say, hi, we're here, George. No, he never writes when we take a picture of his fiance coming out the gym. But then ultimately, that, that retraction letter and that, that apology on Daily Mail is probably one of their most read stories. Yes, probably. that's very true. Oh, it's all too kind of, there's Man, too many machinations. Oh, <laughs> damn it, George, playing into their hands. <laughs> OK, I'm going to read my next headline. Guardian, losses, and I'm making kind of inverted commas now, sustainable. In other press news, the Guardian's uh, parent group, GMG, has released its annual earnings and they have revealed that digital revenues are at 24%, while print revenues are flat with little change, which is pretty impressive, I think, more than the digital revenues. I think print revenues being flat is pretty good. They sold a 50% stake in trade and media and that's boosted their coffers. And their chief executive, Andrew Miller, has said that this money will be reinvested in order to create a steady return to the Guardian of around 5%, so sensible investments. And according to the Evening Standard, Miller took home £2.2 million this year for his work on the deal. So the money's being spent somewhere anyway. Um, Alex, all papers are watching their print revenues decline. So this is actually quite a kind of amazing result for The Guardian. Do you think they're heading in the right direction? It depends what they do next. I think you know, this big revelation about The Guardian that they're somehow going to start charging this premium for whatever content they start investing after saying so often oh no we're good we has to remain free it has to remain free and i think as with most companies the digital revenue is very quickly increasing as audience is increasing but the interesting thing for the guardian is why is australia doing so well and the u.s edition because Catherine has been shipped over to help the Catherine u.s Biner, edition yeah. where that goes i think is interesting because now janine gibson has been coming back to edit uh, uk guardian online if we see a spike in u.s traffic does that mean that Catherine just has that gift of somehow developing a profitable business? Um, but The Guardian, 
I can't see it making that much money. It, it's too nice. It's too pleasant. <laughs> it's too nice. You think everyone's swip- swapping to the Daily Mail. Um, but do you think that, that, I mean, the alternative, obviously, is a paywall. Do you think that that's more secure then, I mean, at least you know a certain amount of money is coming in. I think it's worked out pretty well for the New York Times having their partial paywall. And I think The Guardian was in a great position to do that before any of the other papers like The Times. I mean, The Times it kind of tanked its online presence. The Guardian, if it did the same thing, where it's 10 or 20 free articles a month. I think there's so many people who are loyal to that brand mm. that, and, and it has such a great worldwide presence as well. They could really, they could really do well on it. So I don't think they should be too shy about it. I've been, I've been surprised that they've been so adamant before. It's because, of their left wing, it's because of their thing of, oh, you know, it should be free. We're coming at this from this left-wing principles. Yeah, but we then why aren't they giving out the papers for free if that's what they really think? But then also, I mean, having been to a few kind of digital uh, kind of jolly-ups at The Guardian myself, I occasionally go in as a, I work for The Observer, it is a kind of point of principle. When you are at The Guardian, they say they definitely say to you, if we write a great story and it goes out, you know, say Syria or something like that, then you can get, you know, because it's open uh, media, they can get people contributing. There's no, there's no paywall. There's nothing to stop people contributing, and it's very, very important point of principle for them. Because the fact is that it's all very well as saying, you know, what I pay, you know, two pounds a month for the for the Guardian. But if you want kind of access to people who are blogging and contributing from war zones, they're not going to suddenly go, oh, I've run out. I can't, you know, I can't see the Guardian anymore. I can't contribute to it anymore. Well, that, that's why I think a soft paywall is is the best idea where you get couple of dozen articles a month anyway and also with the new york times their blogs tend to be free so yeah. if you had things like comment is free being not paywalled etc and, and blog pieces maybe that's the way i'm there. not in charge luckily <laughs> luckily we don't have to make these decisions yeah. okay shall i do my next headline doctor who leak okay so this is our final one in the week that they launched a teaser for the new series of doctor who the bbc got themselves into a bit of a difficulty a bit of a tiz shall we say what happened Han? Well, uh, a few scripts for the forthcoming series <laughs> got leaked, apparently because they'd been sent abroad for translation because the first episodes are going to be simulcast across the world. And um, and thus they got out. And so you had the Radio Times saying, this has happened, but we're not going to tell you what's in them. And so, they appeal to all kind of Doctor Who fans. Yeah. If you have, if you ever see them, kind of squash it down, never yeah. you know, show anybody. And I'd imagine Doctor Who fans would do that. I know, they're so the obedient main. and lovely, aren't they? Yeah. But do you think it's impossible to keep this kind of thing under wraps? Yes, in short. <clears throat> if, some, if enough people want to find out about it, someone will find out about it. It's very rare that you can't, you, that you can keep these things in. And then the second it's on Twitter, a million people know, and then five million people know, everyone's blogging about it, the video's up. These, I imagine we'll see those scripts before it is aired, or some, there'll be some pictures of this thing somewhere. Yeah. Some snippets. I have to say, I went to a kind of actor's party. This is a, quite a few months ago. And somebody who you'd expected to be at this actor's party was not there. And so I said, oh, where are they? And they went, oh, they're in Cardiff. And so we all went, oh, Doctor Who. Because <laughs> <laughs> why else, as an actor, quite a you know, fairly prominent actor, would you be in Cardiff? It's just, you know, so it became really obvious. It became very obvious what they were doing, if you sort of mean. So now I know, I actually know a cast member for the new Ooh. Doctor Who. What, like what they could do is just uh, flood the market with uh, fake scripts. Yes, as, uh, that would be so brilliant. We could write them. Let's write them now. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be such fun. And maybe the other thing that's going to happen is that they're going to have to have shorter times between filming something and it actually coming out. To yeah, that's very true, but then it won't look so pretty. Okay, before we go, there's just time for the media quiz. And in light of the news that Victoria Derbyshire is to move from Five Live to a daily show on the BBC News Channel, we thought we'd look at some of the other job offers she could have taken. 
Yes, it's yet another format devised by our producer that you won't find on a TV near you. <laughs> so I read you three fictional job descriptions for real jobs and you have to guess why the job is in the news and the winner gets a cream egg. OK, number one, wanted. De- divisive communicator with experience in the press industry required for five on-demand weeks with 24-7 domestic work. Salary, £300,000. Is it in London, though? Because if not, Victoria Derbyshire won't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think that this uh, is referring to? That has to be the Big Brother thing, doesn't it? It is the Big Brother thing. And who has been offered £300,000? Julie Birchill, which I think is... I think that would be quite a good Oh, she'd get. be amazing. But I just don't know if she would do it. I mean, she'd be more fun than, than Liz Jones, I have to say. She loves to chat. She loves Julie to Birchill. chat and she loves to kind of wind people up. She'd be the perfect person, really. And it's £300,000. Do you think they really offered her that amount of money, though? Because that seems like too well, much money for say, most people. I have to say, as I follow Julie on Facebook, we are friends, uh, she did say on Facebook, how much did Liz Jones get offered? <laughs> and then she asked for exactly the same amount. So, you know, Smart, yeah. you know I think that's kind of fair enough. With uh, any uh, factored in for inflation year on year? Yeah, anything? I don't know. But, you know, that's what she did. She wanted to know what the going rate was. And I imagine knowing Julie, she'd probably whacked on another 100 grand, actually. going rate 300,000? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I imagine she whacked on more money knowing Julie. She's probably <laughs> doubled it. <laughs> She's good at that. I think for most people, it's considerably less. OK, second job up for Victoria Derbyshire. If only she could get it. Uh, media advisor in Europe. The successful candidate must have experience in governing a major institution that's had a history of child protection issues. <laughs> this job is based in Italy. <laughs> oh, Chris Patton is yeah. is going to be doing stuff for the Vatican. Yes, doing stuff. Shall doing, we say he's going things. to be advising on media strategy, not stuff. Yeah. But the Pope's already got, he's already got a very good Twitter profile, so does he need Chris <laughs> Patton? Also, what's weird is Chris Patton, two months ago, said I'm stepping down from jobs because I need to work less, and now he's doing this, that I'd imagine will be quite busy. I know. I thought it was quite interesting that he decided to do that because obviously he, you know, quit the BBC Trust and possibly because it was, you know, a bit of a tough job. And maybe he's hoping this one would be better. But the current Pope, I'm thumbs for the current Pope. He seems pretty good. People love the current Pope. He is, you know, he is definitely a relative thing, I think. Yes, exactly. For a Pope, he's great. (laughs) And, uh, And, you know, he really doesn't seem to need to manage his kind of media strategy at all he seems to be pretty savvy he's great at it it's kind of all the other people around all those people who are still in the vatican who perhaps you know not only need to be advised on media strategy but perhaps on how you know one should go about your life if you're a holy person instead of the pope bringing someone up now you just get whatsapping other people you know, that's the future of the media strategy snapchatting yeah all the cardinals sending obscene oh, messages the, the pope's first snapchat that'd be wonderful That'd be good, but it'd be very, very quick, wouldn't you? OK, finally, we have a, a, a third and final job. Tagger, UK and Ireland. Successful applicants will be responsible for watching and analysing films and TV programmes that will be streaming in the future. The tagger will deconstruct the films and programmes and describe them using objective tags. Oh, Netflix UK and Ireland is advertising for, as if there's a job just to watch Netflix. So when I saw the headlines, I thought, yes, I, I do that anyway, so I might as well be paid. Uh, but actually, it's more like data entry because you, you have to uh, do local analysis. I yeah. thought it would be a lot less paid and a lot harder work than it appears on screen, on paper on the first reading yeah. of it. I know, it does seem absolutely great at first, though, doesn't yeah. it? Literally, like, you know, the, here this is my life and I just have to do it and you'll give me a little bit of money for it. Yeah. I used to do a job many years ago for a news agency which was uh, tagging uh, parliamentary written questions 
with every subject they could possibly be about. And that was wretched. So I'd imagine that even a big fan of Netflix uh, <laughs> would may- maybe find their enthusiasm dampened quite well, yeah. a lot. Waning after mm-hmm. maybe the first day. Yeah, there are so many documentaries about the Holocaust and nukes on there that that alone <laughs> <laughs> would be quite crushing. Yeah, it's pretty much you just put Hitler, Hitler, and then Hitler, yeah. and then Hitler, Hitler. Yeah. Yeah, a little break fun. for credit crunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is a sad spreadsheet. It's rough. Well, that's it. My thanks to Helen Zaltzman and Alex Hudson, also to Jake Cantor. Join us next week, if we're still around, for more media talk on the Media Podcast. My name's Miranda Sawyer. The producer was Matt Hill. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.